Good morning and welcome to chapel. Uh, I'm excited. My name is Dr. Steve Stratton and uh, I am here with two of my favorite people in the world, Dr. Toddy Holman and Dr. Tony Headley. We're all from the Department of Counseling and Pastoral Care and this chapel is really a follow-up chapel in many ways to one that we presented earlier in the, in the year, right at, right at the beginning of uh, the pandemic and chapel going online. We talked at that time about about what are some things that we might want to keep in mind about uh, life during these days, these unprecedented days. And now as we are beginning to end the summer and move on into fall, we realize that it has not ceased to be unprecedented. And as we move into fall, we have to acknowledge that we've never had a fall like the one we're going to have. We are in a situation where, where many times we come out of summer with at least at some point, a chance to recuperate a little bit from the, the prior academic year. But in light of pandemic and other sorts of issues that are facing uh, the United States uh, and really the rest of the world in many ways, we are caught up in a place where uh, exhaustion may be the best term, where it has been trying, burdening, and in the midst of, in the midst of trying to find our way to build the resources to manage all of this. We are getting ready to start a fall probably with less energy than we've ever started an academic year. And as a result, what we find is that as we move into this, uh, we have to begin to think about how do we step into this experience in a way so that we are caring for ourselves, caring for others, and all, always attuned to God in the midst of these processes. So I invite you to be a part of our conversation today. We, uh, and so uh, as a way of beginning, uh, Tony, let me just turn to you and see if you wouldn't mind getting us started. Uh, take it away. You know, uh, if you've been paying attention to yourself and to the news around you, you're probably well aware that one of the big themes that have been uh, echoed throughout this pandemic is that of anxiety. Many, many people have been overcome by an overwhelming sense of anxiety. So before I, I move to a, a scriptural passage, I want to talk a little bit about the nature of anxiety. Uh, we could think about it as an unpleasant affective state that is associated to the perception of future unpredictability and uncontrollability. To be anxious is, in a sense, to be neurologically wound up. <laughs> and at its very core, anxiety stems from feelings of vulnerability, both to internal as well as external threats. And these are the kinds of threats over which we have no control. Or if we have any kind of control, it is insufficient to provide a sense of safety. The other thing about anxiety is that it is pervasive in its effect. So sometimes physiologically people might sweat, there is increased heart rate, there is dizziness. Cognitively, it is very, very evident in distorted thinking that is based on skewed perceptions. And motivationally, there is this desire to escape from something from which we really can't escape. Some people may be overwhelmed with feelings of terror. 
and they may also have inhibited speaking. Overall, they are preoccupied with danger and how they will respond to those dangers. Many of these aspects that I just mentioned are very evident in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And I'm going to read from the Weymouth translation, and I think very quickly you will see why I'm doing that. So here is this uh, scripture. For this reason, I charge you not to be over anxious about your lives, inquiring what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor yet about your bodies, inquiring what clothes you are to put on. Is not the life more precious than its food and the body than its clothing? Look at the birds which fly in the air. They do not sow or reap or store up in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of much greater value than they? Which of you, by being over-anxious, can add a single foot to his height? And why be anxious about clothing? Learn a lesson from the wild lilies. Watch their growth. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his magnificence could array himself like one of these. And if God so clothes the wild herbage which today flourishes and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, is it not much more certain that he will clothe you, you of little faith? So do not be over-anxious, therefore asking, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these are questions that Gentiles are always asking. But your heavenly Father knows that you need these things all of them, but make his kingdom and righteousness your chief aim, and then these things shall be given you in addition. So do not be over-anxious, therefore, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own cares. Enough for each day are its own troubles. As I thought about that scripture and Jesus introducing this topic of anxiety, it occurred to me that God knows all that pertains to our life, even the anxiety that we are currently experiencing. And in this passage, Jesus primarily touches on anxiety that stems from our physiological needs. So we tend to worry during this pandemic about food and water and sleep and other basic necessities. And we're also worried about our safety needs. We're anxious about the security of our bodies and whether we will have a job and the necessary resources to provide for ourselves. And we even wonder about our own mortality in the face of COVID-19 and that of our family, our health, and our property. One of the things you'll notice in this passage is that anxiety really is about everyday needs. It is not about outlandish things like fearing whether there will be a Mars attack. <laughs> However, anxiety adds nothing to our life. In fact, it detracts from life, marring us in future despair over things over which we have little to no control. Anxiety also seems to, pre, to occur from a lack of control as well as this unpredictability and uncertainty. 
So in the passage, uh, they're uncertain about whether these basic needs, the bare necessities, will be provided. And so because of these concerns, COVID-19 presents major problems. For instance, none of us have seen anything like this before. So we cannot really predict what will happen now or in the future when the seminary opens up to live classes. And we have little to no sense of certainty and obviously no control. And these three together, the uncontrollability, the unpredictability and uncertainty makes for a perfect recipe for anxiety. I hope you also noticed in this passage that anxiety is anticipatory. It is not something about the present. Anxiety is always about the future. And if you were to look more closely at this passage, you will find that Jesus uses the language of the future. And even in, uh, later down in verse 34, he talks about not worrying about tomorrow. Anxiety really is borrowing trouble. It is reaching out into the future and thinking about something that hasn't happened and bringing it into your present and acting as if it is real. It is not. I was interested that John Wesley picked up this future nature of anxiety in his ninth sermon on the Mount. And here's what he wrote. What Jesus here condemns is the care of the heart, the anxious, uneasy care, the care that has torment, all such care as does hurt either to the soul or the body. What he forbids is that care which sad experience shows wastes the blood and drinks up the spirit, which anticipates all the misery it fears and comes to torment us before the time. He forbids only that care which poisons the blessings of today by fear of what may be tomorrow, which cannot enjoy the present plenty through apprehension of future one. So it is not just Jesus who knows about anxiety. Wesley seems to know it very well, that it has this kind of future uh, aspect to it. Before I turn it over to one of my colleagues, uh, I, uh, let me speak about belief, because I suggested earlier that anxiety can show itself by distorted thinking. And in this passage, it seems to me that there is some distorted thinking. Christians may not admit it. We may even be hesitant to voice these cognitive beliefs, but yet they bubble beneath the surface. And these beliefs may be, God will not or cannot provide us with the things that we need for our survival. Either that, or there is an underlying core belief that God does not care. And yet Jesus says, well, he cares about grass. He cares about birds. And you are stand at the very apex of his creation. Doesn't it make sense that he cares about you? He does. So I'll turn it over to one of my colleagues. 
Where do we go after that, Tony? That was such a um, comprehensive sort of understanding of anxiety. Um, and you're right, it's so future oriented and we do borrow problems from tomorrow for today um, as well. As we were thinking about this sort of book-ended conversation, I was also reminded about the passage in First Kings and Elijah, when after his mountaintop experience of conquering and uh, showing up all the prophets of Baal, you would think that he would be content or riding on the mountaintop. But uh, all it took was a little life threat from Jezebel to send him scurrying. Just a little one, <laughs> you know, off with his head. <laughs> and uh, he gets out of town pretty quickly. Well, we may not be facing Jezebel with COVID-19, but I do think, you know, the emphasis on, well, what if I get it? What my, my sort of, I have not had symptoms, but what goes through my mind is what if I'm asymptomatic and I'm walking around even with the very few people that I'm interacting with still trying to stay socially distanced and wearing a mask. What if I'm spreading the joy of being asymptomatic and launching COVID-19 abroad? Um, so those are some of the worries that, that, I, that I sometimes come back to. And luckily, that's where testing can be helpful. So that what I've also tried to do when I think about my own anxiety is what can, what can I do? So while there may be lots that I cannot do, um, I cannot create a vaccine, um, I cannot eradicate COVID-19 from the, the cosmos, um, I can wear a mask, I can socially distance, I can uh, get tested as I need to, um, I can avoid mass gatherings, um, I don't know whether you want to consider going to class a mass gathering or not. Um, it might be a masked gathering rather than a mass. That's good. That's good. When you think about where Elijah was, uh, y'all know the story. He took off running. And I think this is where Elijah's word to us is very instructive. Um, he, ex he gets exhausted. He, ex he is exhausted. He, he runs and... I loved, maybe because I resonate with it, he finally, he, uh, this is First Kings 19, starting with three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went another day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed, and I don't know whether you've ever prayed this. He prayed that he might die, saying, I have had enough, Lord. I may not have prayed to die, but I certainly have voiced that next sentiment to God, which is, okay, enough is enough. Let's, yeah. But God cared for him. He, the angels touched him. He saw a cake of baked bread and water he ate and drank and then continued on. Um, and what we discover is that uh, God was caring for him all along. Elijah's uh, own 
cognitive distortions where I am the only one that's speaking your name and God said, hold on, not so fast. Um, but it's that sense that these bodily, our bodily human needs for good rest, good food, hmm. um, staying hydrated can really help us find our balance during these times. Mm -hmm. Even as we re-enter the fall semester, I think maybe even more so. The idea that um, there's a sense, and even as faculty, this is going to be a weird fall. It is. It is. It's going to be weird. Um, I, I was on campus the other day and passed one of the class, Doctor happened to be Dr. Hall's class, and there everybody was doing their social distancing thing, sitting in class, and not one of his students was Zooming in. Um, so who knows who we're going to be teaching face-to-face -face with students Zooming in, some students leaving class, adding to the Zoom, Zoom students coming back to class, faculty coming in and out. I mean, we ourselves may decide today is not a day that I'm going to show up because I'm not feeling well. Mm -hmm. It's just all weirdness. It is. I think that unpredictability, the lack of structure, oftentimes uh, the ambiguity uh, and of the, the whole process is what we tend to, in our, our brains, tend to fill in the gaps with uh, predictions or threats or other things that we need to pay attention to. And as a result, we end up with uh, the kind of things that you and Tony are, are describing, as opposed to what I think both of you are hinting at is this more present moment experience mm -hmm. where we are affirmed that God is present with us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. God is present in the moment. Anxiety and these other sorts of filling in the gap sort of brain-based threat maneuvers are things that um, uh, tend to uh, kind of capture us and keep us from being able to stay present mm -hmm. in the situation where God is. I, I will always remember a, a book I read during my graduate school years by Emil Bruner. And he said, he said, we experience God in the present moment. Uh, we, we don't experience him in the future. We don't experience him in the past because we can't actually be there. It's only the present moment. And when we leave the present moment, we leave his presence, at least the experience of his presence. And when we want to engage him, we have to come back to that. And I think we're facing that as we head into the fall. I think we're moving into a time where a lot of times we had the, the resources to bring into this situation where we could be patient, we could rest, uh, we, could, we had some resiliency, we had some other things that, were, uh, that uh, uh, enabled us to manage the stresses of the academic life. Uh, regretfully, I think we're coming into a place where that, those resources are just not going to be as present. If the research is, is accurate about the way all of this is going, if the, if the uh, experts are correct, that we're moving into a time where, where we're not going to have the, the ability to, uh, as well as we had in the past, to engage some of the stressors and the anxieties and the processes that are going to be facing us. And we need as much as we can, but, we, but they're not there. They're not going to be there this year because of those uncertainties and unpredictabilities. You know, uh, Steve, I, I was thinking about that when you were talking about uh, we experience God in the present. 
And I think one of the things that's very evident here uh, when, when Jesus emphasizes this presentness is that we can trust God with our present to supply, yes. but we can also trust him with our uncontrollable future. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, he can take care of those kind of things. And Toddy, when you were talking, I was thinking about uh, God caring for Elijah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I thought about is how do we cooperate with God? If God is caring for us, how do we cooperate with this caring God? I think one of the ways in which we do it is by caring for ourselves as much as lies in our power. And that is one of the ways in which we manifest that we have this kind of cooperant grace where God is working, but we are also working as well. Mm -hmm. I, I also thought too, in, in terms of self-care, about the role of exhaustion yeah. uh, and the kind of stuff uh, included distorted thinking that uh, exhaustion can bring into our lives. And then the other thing that occurred to me, uh, I think it was when you were talking about, we've never been here before. And so it's not just a matter of caring for ourselves. It is understanding too that when we are doing these things for ourselves, we are also in a sense doing them for others because we are protecting others. Yeah. And the fact that we've never been here before means that we also need to be patient with ourselves when we mess up or we make poor decisions, but we also have to be patient with those people who make decisions because not all of them are going to be great decisions in hindsight. Yes. Because we have never really been here before. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense to me as we're thinking about it. That, that idea of self-care, and Toddy mentioned it a few minutes ago, is it really starts with how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you you know, having, doing those very basic sorts of things. So uh, uh, that kind of care is essential. You know, I was looking, I was thinking today about uh, the fact that, that uh, it's very likely that in Jesus's 33 years, he spent a third of that sleeping, you know, and I, I never thought of that before, but it just kind of strikes me as funny that, and I think it comes back to what you were saying, Tony. He had, he was in God's care. God was, was working in and around him, and he was just participating in that process. And so sleep became something that he could participate in. You didn't see Jesus going, running around going, I just, I just got three years left. You know, I, I got I to gotta get all these things done. You know, it wasn't that at all. He, and there were times where even the scripture talks about him going away, getting away from the crowds, doing those kinds of things. And that's, I, I think it speaks to some of this embodiment that we've got to begin to take care of. It's part of the self-care process. And, but I also like the idea you were saying, we also have to be not only graceful with ourselves, but that graceful with ourselves actually lays the foundation for being able to be graceful with others mm -hmm. and also to receive the grace from others because we're going to need our community as never before. We need to have those trusted relationships and those, those engagements with other people because those bring energy into the process we we give and we receive energy in the midst of that when we may be uh, when when others are lacking or we may be lacking i at least that's the way i imagine it toddy you know I, I really wish that they the catchphrase social distance um had been introduced as physical distance instead yeah we yeah. need we still need to be socially connected we are built for relationships mm -hmm. we 
you know, anybody that studies attachment theory from infancy through adulthood, it is our connectivity to others that helps us calm our anxious hearts. Yes. Helps us balance our misperceptions, helps remind us God cares for us. Unless your friend is also ramped up and you just feed off one another and amplify your anxieties. Um, yeah. Don't do, like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you know, Steve, uh, when, when you were talking about resting, I thought about something that I think I read in Walter Brueggemann in his commentary on Genesis. Uh, who suggested that resting is a sign of faith. Mm. If, yeah. if, if you trust God, you can rest. Yes. You can take care of yourself. You don't have to be busy all the time. If you don't trust God, you believe, I've got to do it all, so therefore you stay busy. Yeah. So resting is a sign of faith. And I wonder if during this period of time, we can really trust God enough to take care of ourselves and to be able to rest even in the midst of everything that is troublesome around us. That's a great comment. I, I, it made me wonder. I thought, I, I may need to go and actually look at my classes to see in this time with the heavier load that faculty and students are going to be carrying, do, is, my, is my syllabus even accommodating uh, a, an opportunity for people to, ha to engage in a way that is more self and other caring? And of course, all the students are saying, yes, look at your syllabus. No more papers. No more papers. You go, Dr. Stratton. This, this, is the time, this is the time to take him. Yes, absolutely. You know, you know I actually did that during the spring because I, it was very evident that the students were very, very uh, under a great degree of pressure. Uh, they're not able to think as well. They're not able to study as well. And so I made some modifications in terms of testing. Yeah. I want to come back to a comment I think thought you were making, and Steve, you might have made it earlier about the importance of community. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I recall one statement that I've used on a number of occasions from Martin Luther's Letters of Spiritual Counsel, and here's what he actually had to say uh, that reflects, I think, uh, the need for community. He says, when we are alone, the worst and saddest things come to mind. We reflect in detail upon all sorts of evils. And if we have encountered any adversity in our lives, we dwell upon it as much as possible. We magnify it. We think that no one is so unhappy as we are, and we imagine the worst possible consequences. In <laughs> short, when we are alone, we think of one thing and another. We leap to conclusions and we interpret everything in the worst possible light. On the other hand, we imagine that other people are very happy and it distresses us that things go well with them. As we <laughs> <do with us. laughs> so uh, uh, we really need community to get us a little bit grounded into what the social reality really is. Because bereft of community, we tend to spiral off into uh, all sorts of distorted thinking. Yeah. Let me offer this other, it's a new catchphrase that I've liked. It comes from um, an app called Curable. Uh, the, for any of you who may be experiencing chronic pain, you might find the Curable app kind of intriguing. But one of their uh, new learnings about neuroscience and pain, and I think it applies to anxiety, 
the saying is pain is just your brain's opinion unless you have something structurally wrong. I don't want to go into all that science, but I, I can say that anxiety is just your brain's opinion that you're in danger. And too often, um, as we've all been sharing, once we start believing that that opinion is a truthfulness, we start amplifying all of the factors that go along with becoming more and more anxious. Mm -hmm. So perhaps I would encourage all of us that when anxiety is present, this is for me as well, that I take a moment, take a breath. Remember, this is my brain's opinion, my limbic system's opinion that something is wrong, that I'm in danger, and that I really need to take a, a sober estimate of what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and and where, where am I in the present moment? In this moment, am I in real tangible danger? Well, chances are no. I think that's a great, and we've got to stop. Unfortunately, I feel like we're just getting started in this conversation. But, but as we come to a close, I think that's a wonderful place. I, you know, anxiety causes us to to tunnel in, mm -hmm. and what we're suggesting is that that in reality, when we realize that God is with us in every moment, and our brain may be saying danger, danger, you know, we've got to we've got to realize that in that dangerous time that our brain is talking about, God is with us as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it brings us back to a scripture we were all talking about as we were planning this. And that, that, that scripture from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, where he's, we talk about casting all our cares upon him because he cares for us. And that is a present tense experience. And it's, a, it's something that we rely on. Uh, this is not, we move into the fall, not in a way counting on our own abilities and our own strength, but we move into the fall, casting our cares upon God who cares for us, who is at work in every moment, in every situation of our lives, and also with a community that cares for us as well. And that's the other part. I think that's, that's the opportunity that we have as we move into this. We may be able to be a community as never before because we're entering a fall that we've never ever had like this before. Mm -hmm. And so that's our hope to walk through this fall in a way that lifts up God and grows him, grows our faith in this, but also experience the community in a way that, that God has been able to, to work. And maybe, maybe he's actually been getting us ready for this very moment. I wouldn't, wouldn't be a bit surprised knowing his character. So we'll stop here, but Thank you all for joining us in this conversation. We hope that uh, it's raised some things that uh, are helpful. And as we move forward, we are grateful that we move forward in him. And uh, one more plug before you close. Yes. For those of you who are on Kentucky base, remember the, the Van Tatenhove Center for Counseling. Oh, that's true. Will be available uh, to help support you if you have symptoms that are becoming distressing. Thank you. No Thank comments, you. Can I suggest that advert that God can use adversity to grow us? I, I count on that yes. <laughs> in these days. Thank you. All right. We'll stop at that point. That's the last word. We will say goodbye to everybody. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.